electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Closing Bell. Watch the S&P 500 in this final hour near the highs of the session. If it does manage to close higher, that will match its longest winning streak of the year. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand in the market right now. There's the S&P. It's up 1.5% right now. Best performing sector is energy. The Nasdaq is also doing well, up two and a quarter percent. So technology continues its rebound. It's been a story all week. Yes, July around this period is usually seasonally strong, but increasing signs that inflation is easing, playing into the narrative here. Small caps are working today. They lagged yesterday up two and a half percent and the Dow up one percent. You've got big gains for names like Caterpillar, Nike and Boeing. Let's do this sector heat map because it's not all wins across the board. I mentioned energy. Crude oil is bouncing today. It's up four and a half percent after a slide earlier this week. So it's on top. Consumer discretionary is going strong as well. You've got especially the beaten down cruises like Carnival and Borg Warner, which actually hit a 52 week low yesterday. It's higher by about six percent. So some of the some of the beaten down cyclicals are actually working today. Technology is working, communication services. The two lagging sectors are both defensive, real estate and consumer staples, but they've been outperformers on the year. Coming up this hour, we will discuss the markets, China tariffs and oil with Heyman Capital Management founder Kyle Bass. And then the president of the World Bank, David Malpass, on growing recession fears globally. Time, though, for today's market dashboard. To start us off, Mike Santoli is here taking a look at the role Mike sentiment might be playing in the recent winning streak for stocks, which is interesting that they're so high today, given Treasury yields and yeah. crude oil are back rising again, which have been pain points for the market. They have been. Now, both of them well off their high, so that's probably allowing stocks to have this follow-through uh, to the upside, this recovery. Yes, four-day win streak. The fact that it's only the second one of those this year tells you what a rough year it's been because that's not a particularly remarkable uh, long streak. The two-year chart of the S&P 500 somewhat tells the story not just of the four days, but this mid-June low uh, is the latest one that, you know, the bulls are making a bid to say that that's going to be consequential. Remember, we were up 6% just to about in the S&P week before last, gave back less than half of that last week. It felt nasty last week, but we didn't really uh, kind of backslide all the way. And right now, I think what you'd have to say is this downtrend line is what everybody's watching, 4,000 on the S&P. A lot of stuff comes together right there. So another 3% upside. Then you can start talking about whether, in fact, this move is going to have a little more traction than the prior uh, downtrend rallies that we've seen. Now, take a look at the sentiment picture. Uh, Sarah, this is the uh, weekly American Association of Individual Investors bullish percentage uh, on a 52-week average basis. Bespoke basically says over the last year, how many bulls have there been? It's rarely been this low, right? You have a couple of times back in the late 80s after the 87 crash that left a long hangover. And then, of course, you have it right in here. And so essentially, that was in 2016, by the way, 15 into 16. You had this six, eight-month period where people were very despondent. You had Brexit coming up. And so 
all I'm saying is this is definitely a net asset to have people be this uh, kind of fatigued by the market. I say the opposite of love. It's not hate. It's indifference. I think a lot of investors are essentially just checking out and surrendering and saying, look, it's been too tough to play. So it's not as if they're mega bearish, but they're definitely sidelined to some degree. So now we get to the setup for earnings season. Big banks start to roll out next week. And and before this week, it looked like actually it was a good setup because a lot of the bad right. news was priced in. What, what sectors will you be watching and what, where are the expectations? I think you would, would want to be looking at the cyclical sectors, the ones where, you know, the stocks may be down quite a bit. Maybe the estimates haven't fallen quite as much. And then the big tech stocks, are they going to be sensitive to the macro slowdown or not? Or exactly how much is things like digital advertising already priced in if there's any kind of a little bit of bumps in the road along that. So all that stuff matters. Um, I do think I agree with you. It was looking like we were going to go in on the lows. Now we're not. We're 7, 8 percent off the intraday lows at this point. Apple, Tesla, Alphabet, NVIDIA leading the Nasdaq again today. Really some good strength in those names this week. Mike, thank you. We'll see you in just a little bit. Before earnings, we're getting ready for the big jobs report out tomorrow morning. Expected to show a gain of more than 270,000. The Federal Reserve also keeping an eye on that number as it tries to cool the labor market and inflation. Just in the last hour, Fed Governor Christopher Waller said he is backing another 75 basis point hike at the Fed's July meeting. Joining us now, Michelle Girard from NatWest Markets and Paul Christopher from Wells Fargo Investment Institute. I think that's the big question for investors Michelle, is whether the the Fed once again will follow the markets, maybe not in the next meeting, they'll they'll do 75, which is the expectation, but just in terms of cooling down the rate hikes here on signs that inflation is easing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The market is priced in an awful lot of Fed tightening. We're looking for a fund rate over 3%. And I think, as you said, the expectations are most likely 75 basis points in July, maybe another 50 in September. But, but you know, will that be essentially it, even if they do a, a little bit more between now and year end? Do we need to pre, you know, reprice even higher or is there a risk the Fed could end up having to do more? And right now, as there's signs of inflation cooling, as there's signs of um, maybe in some of the cooling in terms of the U.S. economy, it, it doesn't feel like that 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 will need the market needs to worry about the Fed doing even more. And, and I think that that's what tomorrow's numbers will be really important. If the numbers suggest wage growth may have peaked, employment is strong but still somewhat cooler, then the market can get comfortable with the idea that enough is priced in for the Fed right now. And I think that would be good news. Also, both Waller and Bullard today were very confident, almost cocky in talking about a soft landing, that they think they can pull it off. Because everybody else is saying that's going to be very, very difficult, including the Fed chair himself, Paul. So so are are you a buyer? Do you believe in this rally that we've seen this week? Would you be putting money to work on the idea that it's been peak hawkishness and peak inflation already in the market? No, we're not buyers of of that idea, and we think it's going to be extremely difficult. You know, historically, the Fed has had a lot of trouble, uh, and its batting average is well below 50 percent in terms of engineering soft landing. So, no, we would be fading any rallies here uh, and focusing on the opportunities to be defensive uh, in fixed income and buy quality and go up up cap, uh, up market in in stocks. So when you say defensive in stocks, do you mean... Consumer staples, real estate, not working today, but have worked so far this year. Are you sticking with those kind of groups? 
Yeah, we upgraded uh, staples or we uh, we upgraded utilities. We're, we're at market weight now. Uh, we'd be focused on energy at the other side of the barbell. Uh, we also like tech here. Uh, we'd be buyers here, but looking for quality. Uh, our colleagues have, have good lists of, of individual companies. That's not my area. Uh, but we do like energy and tech. We'd also throw healthcare in there as a quality sector. Companies and sectors that have good cash flow, good cash to debt, and really good organic uh, revenue growth prospects for the future. That's that's how we would position in equities and, and, and use this opportunity to fade rallies, get out of cyclicals. So, Michelle, I think it depends on wages, right? And some of the and the CPI report on Wednesday to determine what happens next. What are your expectations around the, some of these key numbers? Well, so the wage number tomorrow, we're a little bit higher than consensus at four tenths, but that year over year number we have ticking down. And I will say, looking ahead to the CPI, we think you're going to have maybe one more bad month, but but that will be the peak. Our expectation is, is that this uh, June number will be the, the peak and you'll start to move lower. Of course, the decline in energy prices that we've seen over the last month is, is very positive, as well as the easing off in, uh, in other commodity prices. And so I think that if we can just sort of get over this hump, if, if the numbers don't surprise sharply on the upside, and I don't, even with the wage growth numbers, we've got good evidence that you've, you're seeing a pickup in the labor force participation rate as more workers are coming back into the labor force. That should also help to ease some wage pressures. So it feels to us like that the peak is, is in, in fact in. Again, I, I do think a a longer term question is how low will inflation go? Will we be able to get all the way back to 2%? But that's a 2023 story, um, not something I think that the, that the Fed or the markets will have to deal with near term. Near term, well, I think the trend will be moving in the right direction. Agree. Whether we can get back all the way down to 2% or whether the Fed will be, right. be able to tolerate something higher. And maybe they'll even change their target, right. something they dismiss right now. But let's see. Paul, Michelle, right. thank you both very much. Thank you very much. That's a conversation Thanks, for another Sarah. day. Up next, World Bank President David Malpass on whether central banks are doing enough right now to prevent a global recession. And remember in January, Kyle Bass correctly predicted oil would rally well above $100 a barrel. We'll find out whether he thinks oil could head back to the highs of the year following today's rebound, but the big sell-off we've seen over recent sessions. You're watching Closing Bell. The Dow is near the highs of the session, up more than 300. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Check out today's stealth mover. It's Helen of Troy, which is a big loser on Wall Street, down almost 9%. The housewares and beauty products maker beating earnings estimates, but the stock is under pressure because the company slashed its full-year outlook, both revenues and profits. 
blaming inflation and macro issues for a slowdown in consumer demand. Meantime, global growth expected to slow as well to 2.9%, and that is down from 5.7% growth that was expected last year. That's according to a report from the World Bank. And it expects that slower growth to stick near that rate for the next two years. Joining us now in an exclusive interview is the president of the World Bank, David Malpass. President Malpass, always good to have you back on. What are you guys thinking as far as the, the world economy and how it looks into the end of the year and into next? Hello, Sarah. Uh, these are hard adjustments. One is on the energy side. There was uh, dependence on Russia and that uh, the world is trying to adjust to that and to realign. Uh, but that takes time. That takes a lot of new production in other parts of the world. Uh, and then on the monetary policy side, the interest rates were near zero in quite a few of the advanced economies. And so they need to normalize. And that applies to bond yields as well. So these are hard adjustments for the for the world to make. Developing countries in particular are under a lot of pressure. What about the U.S.? What are the odds of recession, do you think, at this point? You know, odds are there's always some chance of a recession. They're higher now. Uh, we've seen the first quarter weak and some of the forecasts are for second quarter weakness. So, you know, it's possible that that's happening. I'm encouraged by some of the trends on the U.S. side. But I think we also have to look at the uh, weakness in Europe. Uh, in in uh, Japan and in China uh, as being contributing factors for the global slowdown that's underway. So even if the if the U.S. can stabilize or even pull off a soft landing, that still leaves quite a bit of the world in uh, uh, in danger. And what's interesting about your forecast is you do not see a, a sharp or a quick bounce back. You expect these lower growth rates to stay. Why? This has to do with the uh, investment weakness of investment over the this year and the in the last couple of years, but also this energy re realignment I mentioned that that is is uh, a big challenge for the world to to make that kind of adjustment, uh, and that's penetrating you know into the fertilizer markets, the food markets, uh, and that really slows down developing countries. So if you think about the yeah. global population, uh, billions of people are in. Uh, in, in uh, a prolonged slowdown related to the adjustment in energy and the, also the adjustment in interest rates that was probably needed even before the crisis. Do you think we've seen the peak levels on inflation around the world? We may have seen the peak in advanced economies, you know, and in developing countries, many of them have done already several rate hikes from their central banks. Uh, so from on a month uh, on a month over month basis, uh, we're, we may be getting we're, we're probably uh, at the peak, uh, but that still leaves inflation too high for central banks to be comfortable, comfortable. Uh, and also, you, yep. you know, their portfolios are challenging. You see that in Europe, uh, they, they're, they're, they're struggling to buy enough of the government bonds uh, to keep uh, bond yields, uh, bond yields uh, uh, down in the weaker economies. Uh, and in Japan, they're struggling to keep their cap on bond yields. These are, these are dramatically uh, different monetary policies than pre-2008. Pre and there's a lot of adjustment that has to be done to get used to that. Well, just look at the currency market, David. Again, the dollar's strengthening. We've seen 
24-year highs against the yen. We're almost at parity against the euro. Emerging markets currencies now in the last six months have gotten crushed. You, you guys at the World Bank and, and the IMF follow these sorts of things and the disruptions that they have. How, how problematic do you think this is? Exactly right. It's hard to think that we're we're stabilizing because of those moves in the major currencies are still ongoing. Uh, and and that means there's probably quite a few more rate hikes uh, in in the prospect uh, outside the U.S. And the U.S. Uh, we know uh, is is likely to have more. That puts pressure on the debt in developing countries. So that's that's the reason for thinking of this as a prolonged uh, difficult period mm. for the world over the next three years. And that's on top of there being shortages of uh, natural gas in particular, and that f- factors into the fertilizer and food markets. You know, it's a direct chain. Uh, and and I, I want to come back to this issue that the massive bond portfolios held by the central banks are part of this challenge. How do you how do you begin to unwind uh, those uh, th- th- that maturity mismatch that resides in the central banks? No, the, the QT experiment will be interesting. You know, David, I also have to ask you about news of the day with Boris Johnson stepping down. This is a country that has 9% inflation rate, rapidly slowing growth here, and now political crisis. What, what do you see ahead for the world's fifth big, biggest economy? Um, political uncertainty, yes. Uh, but from the standpoint of their ability to create markets and to innovate, to have financial services, to have uh, uh, innovation through their business climate, you know, they went through Brexit and people said that was going to be a catastrophe. Well, it's been a challenge for them, but countries tend to bounce back if they're given a chance. So that that's my outlook for the UK. And I would say for most countries, if we give them a chance with policies, they can bounce back after the these uh, travails. Not so bearish. David Malpass, thank you. Always good to, to talk to you about what's happening you, in the world. Sarah. President of the World Bank. Let's give you a check here on where we are in the markets. Up more nicely, more than 380 on the Dow. The S&P's up 1.7%. We're building on the gains for the week and on the day at session highs. Up 2.5%. Look at the Nasdaq. As far as the strength, every sector has turned green. Even some of the defensive that were lagging, like real estate and consumer staples, just turned positive on the session Energy stocks are zooming. They're up 4%, which makes them down only 2% for the week. Boeing's a big Dow winner today, despite a warning from the aerospace giant's CEO. We'll share the details of that straight ahead. And as we take a break here, as we head out to break, check out some of the top search tickers on CNBC.com. Ten-year Treasury takes the top spot again. And the ten-year Treasury note yield is actually higher today, passing 3% again. So a little bit of selling of bonds. Crude oil is back rebounding after a big slide, still down for the week. Tesla, a lot of the big cap tech names are higher and driving the NASDAQ. Tesla, Apple, NVIDIA are the top three. S&P 500, and there's Apple, up 2.5%. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Boeing, big factor, helping out today's rally, despite some cautious comments from the company's CEO. Phil LeBeau with the details. Phil. Sarah, these are significant comments from Dave Calhoun, CEO of Boeing, and it has to do with whether or not the company potentially scraps plans to build the stretch version of the 737 MAX. That's the 737 MAX-10. That is in development right now. It has not been certified, and that's why these comments are relevant. He says they could cancel the program if it does not receive a waiver requiring a certification by December 20th. You might be saying, why December 20th? Well, back in 2020, Congress passed the Aircraft Certification Safety Act. This was in the wake of the 737 MAX crashes. One of the requirements, a new crew alert system. Again, this goes into effect for aircraft certified after December 21st. But here's an important point. Congress could issue a waiver exempting the MAX 10 from having to put those crew alert systems in these aircraft. Dave Calhoun says the significance of this is that that system would require more training for uh, companies that order the aircraft. He says, I think our case is persuasive enough. This, meaning the potential canceling of the program, is a risk I'm willing to take. If I lose the fight, I lose the fight. If you take a look at shares of Boeing, keep in mind that they have 640 orders for the 737 MAX-10 from 17 different airlines. And again, Sarah, the important thing to keep in mind is if they are required to put this new crew alert system in and they can't get this plane certified before December, which is looking unlikely, well, then potentially a lot of their customers could sit there and say, wait a second, we've got to go through all new training for our pilots who are in the Dash 10 versus the other 737 Maxes. That potentially could mean fewer orders. It's a costlier uh, road to go down, not only for Boeing, but for their customers as well. This is going to be an interesting uh, discussion on Capitol Hill over the next several months. It is also interesting that it's not having an impact. Boeing up 3%, adding 27 points. It's down 30% this year, I guess, we're, to your point. Yeah, we're a long ways from, from this final. We're a long ways from this being decided, Sarah. That's why. Got it. Okay, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Wall Street analysts issuing a slew of inflation-related stock calls today, even as inflation is showing some signs of cooling off. Up next, the buzz on whether Wall Street is late to the party and what it means for investors. And then later, Heyman Capital founder Kyle Bass on how inflation and the market could be impacted if President Biden does decide to roll back tariffs on Chinese goods. We'll be right back. What is Wall Street buzzing about? Inflation. Well, some equity analysts are just starting to get the memo, perhaps better late than never, take some of the research calls out today. Bank of America, for instance, cutting its price target on Nordstrom, citing inflation concerns. Also downgrading Kohl's to underperform because of weaker demand due to inflation. That analyst cut her price target nearly in half to $26 on the squeeze we're seeing in rising prices. And then Kellogg gets a downgrade by UBS because of inflation costs. The company is going to experience a significant amount, according to the analyst behind the note, and won't be able to pass it all on. But here's the thing. At this point, we are actually starting to see signs inflation is really coming down. J.P. Morgan actually out with a note today saying food inflation has gone from a boil to a simmer. Energy prices have plunged, and Patrick DeHaan of Gas Buddy tweeting that he's counted more than 2,500 gas stations with gas costing $3.99 per gallon or less. We have yet to see whether the inflation release is, relief is more than just transitory. The big CPI report comes out next Wednesday. So does the parade of earnings. The question, is the inflation impact already in these stock prices, which have sold off sharply this year? And some of these analysts just catching up? 
That will be a key theme and a question in earnings season. Here's where we stand right now in the markets. Near session highs, we're going strong, up 2.4% on the NASDAQ, up 1.5% on the S&P. And now every sector, as I mentioned, has gone green. Energy's in the lead. Real estate is lagging, but it's, it's higher. Started the hour lower. Consumer discretionary is also doing really well. And some of the big winners there include Carnival, Ford, Borg Warner, Royal Caribbean, and Bath and & Body Works. Up next, Heyman Capital founder Kyle Bass on whether oil prices will be able to rally back to new highs following the big snapback we've seen in recent sessions. We'll be right back. We know President Biden is considering rolling back some of those U.S. tariffs that we imposed on Chinese goods in an effort to tamp down inflation. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, a critic of the tariffs, raised the issue during a call with China's vice premier earlier this week. Joining us now is Kyle Bass of Heyman Capital Management. And Kyle, we, we know you're your longtime hawk on China. I assume you think this would be a big mistake, even though Wall Street's really been cheering it on as a way to juice growth and put some pressure on inflation. Well, hi, Sarah. It's a good thing Wall Street isn't charged with U.S. national security. This, this would be one of the biggest mistakes that the Biden administration would make from a policy perspective. If you think about it, Sarah, the reason we put these tariffs on had nothing to do with, quote, a trade war with China, which is kind of how it's how it's described in the media. What's important to note is China can act in uneconomic ways in certain sectors to ruin certain sectors of our economy and i.e. make us more dependent upon them. For instance, in the aluminum business, they were giving the aluminum smelters in China free electricity and they were selling aluminum far below where we could sell it here in America or make it in America. And they took our capacity utilization from the high 80s to the low 70s, meaning bankrupting our entire aluminum business. Well, imagine if we had to rely on China for our strategic and military aluminum. So that happened in steel, that happened in aluminum. And what we're talking about is saving like eight basis points on inflation to make a giant policy blunder from a national security perspective. It has to be one of the dumbest things that this administration's ever thought about. Well, I, I, I do think there's a tension in the administration. I, I don't, I'm not sure the U.S. trade rep tie is, is, very, is in favor of this, and I think it's why it's so delayed in terms of announcing any kind of decision on this. Are we getting anything out of it, though, Kyle? Because I mean, I, the Trump administration I, 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 wanted to get that. They did that trade deal, and China hasn't fulfilled its end of the bargain in terms of buying U.S. products, and everything's kind of gone haywire anyway because of what's happening with global growth and inflation. Yeah, you know, the, 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 um, the deal that we announced, the, quote, big trade deal that President Trump announced um, with China was something that he actually tried to defend his entire presidency. In the end, do you know what percentage of China's end of the bargain they held up? Not even 18 percent of much. their end of the bargain yeah, did they hang up. So, like, so what know, are we getting from it? Well, look. I think the administration is trying to desperately tamp down inflation, Sarah. And I think anything that they can push forward helps. And you have to realize that the Chinese Communist Party pays a lot of lobbying firms and they pay they have a lot of advocates in U.S. corporate business uh, to push the president to try to reduce tariffs because it's what the Chinese Communist Party wants. Right. They use our media, they use our system against us. And it's important for us to realize mm. kind of what we'd be giving up from a national security perspective for eight basis points of inflation. It's like um, taking a morphine shot for, you know, a cancer problem. It's 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 ridiculous. OK, well, speaking of national security issues, I, I got enlightened on the chips issue last week at the Aspen Ideas Festival, did a panel with the Intel CEO and with Senator Rob Portman 
about the, the, the dire need for building semiconductor plants in this country and getting that CHIPS Act passed from a national security perspective. I don't know if you've been following the ASML, the pride and joy of the Netherlands big semi-manufacturing. So the U.S. government now, according to reports, wants to prevent it from selling to China. And then China, in response, has accused the U.S. of technological terrorism. And, I, and I'm just curious, Kyle, as someone who watches this very closely, where you think this goes on semis? So, uh, Sarah, if you look back, you remember the Broadcom deal that, that we actually uh, uh, blocked from a CFIUS perspective. Uh, and we're blocking this. And, and heretofore, we've been able to work together with the Dutch government to keep the most advanced chip making technology uh, away from the Chinese and away from their ability to even even see it or steal it or buy it. Uh, and in this case, ASML makes, as you know, probably the, the single most important photo uh, lithographic process that enables chips to be printed via, via light. And uh, so far we've been able to keep this uh, technology away from the malign activities of the Communist Party. And, and I hope we're able to keep doing so going forward. I think it's a, a very smart thing to do. Uh, and, and Sarah, you know, but l listen to the joint press release or press conference between FBI Director Ray and the MI5 director. And, and you see that we're opening a new case on Chinese IP theft or malign activities right. every 12 hours in the United States. Think about this. We're opening 700 Chinese cases a year and yet Wall Street can't wait for another Chinese deal to go through, and we can't wait to invest more money in Chinese companies. This schism. Well, to be fair, they might be in a better spot than we are right now. They're stimulating. Their inflation is very low. Their stocks are doing really well because they've got a pent-up demand surge coming here from the COVID lockdowns. You can't deny the fact that, that that's... And that's a good spot to be in right now for the markets, at least. I, I smile because they have a closed capital account. Their currency is not even convertible into global currency today uh, on any scale. Their banking system's three and a half times more levered than ours. And they're run by a, a, a genocidal dictator. I mean, they are not a better place to be. They're not a better place to live. And they're not a better place to invest in because they don't even have a rule of law. I don't buy what Wall Street sells me, if you can't tell. I, I can. I just wanted to rile you up there, um, which I did. I, I've also been teasing your call on oil because you made a really good one here on this program. Oil prices were at 80 and you said they're going well north of 100. We just don't have enough capacity. We have a ton of demand coming and then the, and then the war. We've seen this sharp slide, Kyle, back into bear market. Do you think we've put in the highs on the price of oil? Oh, gosh, no. I, I think, Sarah, if you look at what we've done, We've taken our strategic petroleum reserve down to below five days of global demand, call it less than 24 days of U.S. demand. It's lower today than it was in 1985 in nominal terms. Think about how much demand has grown since 1985 and think about how much our economy's grown since 1985. Um, we've put ourselves into a very precarious short-term position. We haven't solved the supply problem uh, and the demand, global demand is inelastic. It will keep growing. And so this pullback should be bought with every dollar you have because oil is going to see 150. It's going to see 200 over the coming years. Wow. All right. There you go. With another putting yourself out there with another call on oil. Kyle, thank you. Thank you. Out of time. Kyle Bass. Appreciate it. SoFi surging after a bullish call today from Mizuho. The analyst behind that note joins us next. That story plus a new list of recession resistant tech stocks when we take you inside the market zone.
We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli back to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, we've got Mizuho's Dan Dolev on SoFi and Courtney Reagan on what to expect from Levi earnings out after the bell. We'll kick it off, Mike, with the broader markets. Another strong day here. The S&P is up one and a half percent, even though oil prices are jumping. Kyle Bass just said they're going back to 150 to 200 dollars a barrel. I'm not sure how the market would handle that. But also Treasury yields are higher. The dollar's stronger. All of these things have been problematic for equities before. Not today. They have. And again, they're, they're below their highs if you're looking at oil, if you're looking at yields. Also, gasoline futures are also lower. So it feels as if we're feeding off the relief uh, that we're not racing to new highs on those uh, real you know, stress points in the market. At the same time, it feels as if the growth stocks are being rediscovered. If we're talking about slowdown, if we're talking about yields not running away to the upside, uh, it seems as if growth was under-owned. So I think that we can draw that. Credit markets actually are ripping today. That's been a real problem for the markets is widening credit spreads. Junk spreads are actually coming in pretty hard for once. So I think all those things feed together. Uh, another one of these rallies that makes it seem like people weren't expecting uh, any chance at, uh, at real upside. But, you know, the real tests remain above uh, these levels in the market. And check out, Mike, some of the top performers today. You've got the meme stocks, your favorite in there, like GameStop, up big. They approved the, the stock split. Plus, AMC is up 15 percent. Bed Bath & Beyond climbing more than 20 percent. Even former pandemic winners like Teladoc and Peloton are up sharply. Yesterday, you said, quote, garbage rallies fast when we turn. Is that is that what you would characterize these stocks as? Is that what's happening? Well, what I would say is it's it's too early to characterize this move in the overall market as the turn. In other words, the bottom is in and we're in recovery mode from here on out. So you see some attributes of that. You see it being plausible. There's some conditions in place for it, but it's a wait and see. It's a prove it market. But when we do get rallies after we've been in a downtrend, absolutely. The, the lower quality stocks, higher beta, less earnings visibility, all the stuff that got beat down the most, high short interest, those are the things that have, that are the most spring-loaded to the upside. So we're absolutely seeing that. Whether that means that we're rebuilding risk appetites in general and it's going to feed off itself, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, it seems like it's a little more of a, you know, mean reversion after a really tough time for those stocks. But as I said, in general, growth, that's not all garbage, of course, growth as made a stand here in the last couple of weeks. Also, Adam Aaron tweeted about when pouncing, which I thought also got the, got the meme stirs a little bit excited. Uh, we are watching, yes. <laughs> thanks Mike, <laughs> shares of SoFi. Is it a bank? Is it a fintech play? Either way, it's up today. Mizuho analyst Dan Dolev says it's benefiting from the best of both worlds while reiterating a buy rating, although lowering the price target to $7. Dan joins us now. Explain why you took this action today, Dan. Hey, thanks. It's, it's not a bank. It's not a. It's not a fintech. It's a phoenix. This is kind of how we call it, right? So uh, we took down the price target to seven. I just think it's enough upside here. I mean, we want to. You know, I, I think long term there's definitely more potential, but we want to see it. We want to give it like a reasonable, given where multiples are. So that's just more of a marking it to market. But our call today is very, very simple. The valuation has actually got to a point. It's gotten to a point where. Even financial, conservative financial investors who didn't like SoFi because they screened, it screened as too expensive, they now see this as being, hey, reasonably priced. And you've got all the optionality of like high FICO lending, deposits, so, and all the things that are not, they're actually like based, not priced in. I, I think that, that that's the key, what you just said. So because when I think of SoFi, I think if the credit cycle is really turning here, which it is, 
How, how would a SoFi hold up? And you're saying it's more resilient than people think. Why? 100%. And, and, and I think that's what most people don't appreciate. It's got about a 740 average FICO uh, loan for, for their borrowers. If you look in the past, you know, recession cycle, right? So the high FICO, the super prime, has actually outperformed the lower prime. It's, it makes, it's a lot of common sense. But I think don't, people don't appreciate that those personal loan borrowers are, you know, very high FICO, which is very different from all these other kind of names that people don't like right now. Plus, they lend the deposits. They're like a bank. They are a bank. And that makes them more resilient. They get a better um, spread between the, 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 you know, the lending and the borrowing because they're a bank. So they got the, the best of both worlds in, in that sense. Dan Dolop, thank you. A L- little bit of audio issues, but got the point. You like it and you think it's worth seven bucks, which is higher from here. Mike Santoli, the, the flip side is it's gotten hammered. You know, Wall Street doesn't like these kind of futures earnings stories that, that well, especially ones that are sensitive to the credit cycle. That's right. And, you know, it just doesn't seem as if that mindset that said there's this massive opportunity because of huge generational behavior changes and how we're going to access financial products is going to create the potential for this fast growing super app. And, you know, all that stuff, it may be true over time, but it's, it's a crowded enough field. And while it might be true that the existing borrower base has a healthy FICO score is not big credit risk. In a tougher economy, you run out of those people to, to, to lend to. So loan growth goes down and their own uh, credit standing might not hold up. So it doesn't seem as if there's enough specialness to it to, to come into the How valuation. How is it valued relative to other banks? Because a big part of Dan's thesis yeah. is that it's a bank. It's not way out of whack in the sense of, you know, versus book value versus tangible book value. And I think that's uh, that's basically been his case there that, you know, OK, there's some smaller banks. If you take out the, the very largest super banks, which tra- trade closer to one times book value, 1.7 is not crazy. But it's not really earning much off that capital base. So it's different from a regular old bank that is making good returns today off of that type of book. 1.7 book is, is closer to regionals, I think, than, yeah, the, than the bigger exactly. ones. Well, a trio of Internet stocks are getting positive calls from Evercore's Mark Mahaney today. Heading into earnings season, he says that softening consumer demand and recession risks will hurt the sector, but that booking holdings, Airbnb and Match Group are best positioned to hold up. Mahaney writing that booking and Airbnb, especially highly profitable with strong balance sheets and battle-tested management. Well, for Match, its freemium business model and strong user loyalty should keep it in Tight in, in despite positions, despite macro headwinds, keep it in prime position despite these macro headwinds. Mahaney also noting three stocks with the most risk heading into earnings are Roku, Amazon, and Pinterest. Mike, what do you think of the calls? Well, I was going to say Amazon on the list of being most vulnerable to disappointment is is pretty telling if, if that's what Mark thinks because. The estimates really have been slashed. I thought people basically uh, felt as if the company's guidance was, you know, relatively, you know, cutting things to the bone. So we'll see if that remains the case. You know, when it comes to something like Airbnb booking, Airbnb and booking, I grant that that perhaps they are being swept into the people are going to travel this summer and then it's going to fall off a lot and they're very sensitive to consumer mood. So maybe there's an opportunity if you believe that's incorrect that travel is uh, is not going to sustain itself in terms of demand. Uh, on, on that. And then, you know, match, it does look very cheap. So uh, just kind of leave that as it is. Right. And and the calls that we covered yesterday yeah. about love being recession proof and dating being recession proof. The retailers are actually having a good day today. Levi Strauss is the big name on the earnings calendar after the bell. We'll give investors another read on the state of the consumer. Courtney Reagan joins us. Courtney, 
What should we be watching? What are the key numbers in Levi's report? Yes, Sarah. So last quarter, they put up a really nice quarter and said that they hadn't started to see any signs of the consumer slowing down or demand. And so that's really sort of the key theme that we're looking for throughout all the numbers that they're going to present here after the bell is what does consumer demand look like for denim here in the United States, but also around the world? Has anything changed since they last talked to us? In April, they said, look, look, we have been able to push through some price increases where we need to do so, but we don't have our head in the sand, right? If things change, then we'll have to pivot too. So that, of course, is the big question for Levi Strauss, but things have really held up for them. It did reaffirm the full year guidance last year. We'll see if we get another uh, reaffirmation or even potentially a move in either direction. But as you mentioned, Sarah, investors liking the action today in Levi up about three percent. They're down about 15 percent over the last three months. So we'll have to see where we go. I think we need some direction and commentary on the state of the consumer around the world. I think the denim cycle, I think, is key for, for Levi. But in general, Courtney, I, I do wonder if we are going to get in this earnings season for retail, especially more on markdowns, on inventory issues, on seeing more Absolutely. sales across retail. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be category dependent and potentially retailer dependent too, right? And how they did their inventory planning when they were able to get the product in. So in some cases they had the right product, but at the wrong time or vice versa. We know obviously Target has been pretty transparent about some of the categories that it was a little lopsided in. And so as a result, to your point, Sarah, they are offering sales. I'm not sure we're going to see that with a Levi, mainly because denim cycles, of course, are sort of year round uh, to a degree, right? Maybe you're not buying shorts in December in the Northeast, but I think people sort of reach out for their denim often throughout the year. So we'll have to see. But inventory does remain the major theme throughout retail for this upcoming quarter and really beyond. I still think the Western theme has, I think it has legs. I think the trend, I think people are wearing more. I, I bought jean shorts for the first time in like 10 years recently. Courtney, oh my Courtney, gosh. Thank you. Oh, that's yes. awesome. Thanks. That says something. Courtney Reagan, Mike, as, as we head into the close, we've lost a little bit of steam, not much. We've seen utilities go red, for instance, and staples are kind of tr trading around the flat line. But between the surge in energy stocks right now and, and also consumer discretionary, and I'm looking at some of the cruises and the, and the casino names, which have been hit hard lately, really rallying today. Yeah, there's a sort of an effort to scoop up things that have been, been left behind and, you know, losing a little bit of steam. I mean, obviously, we've been hovering toward these highs all day. The Nasdaq has had every dip intraday bought, uh, but we, we do have a jobs report coming uh, in the morning. So you, you'd have to believe this one might be a little more consequential. People don't want it to be falling apart, but they also may be too hot is going to uh, make investors think that uh, they haven't fully accounted for what the Fed is. Remember, we've had these bouts uh, over the course of this year, Sarah, when investors felt as if they were finally in tune with what the Fed policy path was going to be, and they had it figured out, and they could see toward the end of it. And then it's been uh, kind of foiled when the Fed has remained more aggressive. So I think we're still in that in that phase right now where we say, yeah, we got these hawkish minutes. We got a lot of hawkish Fed speak today. We got it. We figured it out. Well, they have to speak that way. I, I wonder if there's a little bit of a soft landing in, in today's trade in that the cyclicals are doing well. I, the semiconductors, yeah. I wanted to point out, one of the best performing groups. We've, we have hit the semi-slide lately because, yeah. of course, they're, they're very sensitive to what's happening in the economy and that end demand. They're all working today. So is consumer discretionary. So are the banks and so are energy. So that, that's all, that all 
tells a better story on the economy. Two minutes to go. What else do you see in the internal? Yeah, it tells me people don't want to get super negative uh, after they've been so weak. And the internals have been very strong, actually. Close to 90% of volume to the upside, not quite all day on New York Stock Exchange. You see that's where it sits, over $3 billion advancing, $300 million declining. Two-year note yield, this is part of that story of investors feeling as if uh, they've seen some moderation in the likely Fed path, but it picked up in the last couple of days. you got firm ISM data, and you have a lot of the hawkish Fed speak saying, don't get too comfortable that the Fed is, is about to declare victory here. Volatility index has actually come in down around 25. It's toward the lows of this range we've been in for the last few months. Definitely not relaxing, but it's also not uh, going to new highs. The real volatility has been in currencies and in the bond market, Sarah. As we head into the close, we're seeing the Dow rally 350 points. Most Dow stocks are higher. Caterpillar, Goldman Sachs, and Salesforce contributing the most to the Dow gains right now. Coca-Cola, United Health, and Travelers, the biggest laggards. And, of course, that tells you it's a defensive, lagging story today. What's leading? Things tied to the economy. Energy is the best-performing sector in the market. Consumer discretionary is right up there. As far as stocks, APA up 8%. Diamondback up 5.5%. Marathon Oil up 5.6%. The S&P 500 is up 1.5% right now into the close. The NASDAQ is really the strong story of the day and of the week. NASDAQ comp up 2.3%. On the week, it's up about 4.5% heading into a Friday. It is a jobs day Friday, so it'll be very important. S&P 500 up about half of that on the week, up 2%. But building on the gains today and in this final hour of trade, it's been the theme all week long. That's it for me on Closing Bell. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.